Here we go. Here we go. Episode 48. Mm-mm. 48. <laughs> Push and Rubber Podcast. Adam Pickett, your host with the most. Coming to you not live from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, season, autumn, weather, shithouse, beer, cold. Episode 48, wow, it's a few, isn't it? That is a few, that is a few. And uh, gentlemen and whatever ladies have uh, stumbled upon this podcast, uh, incoherently probably, I'm told that chicks listen to this because I've got an Aussie accent. I doubt it. Um, so, oh, moving is such an annoyance. Uh, moving to the other side of the world is a much bigger annoyance um, just because it costs so much money. Oh, you got no idea. All right. No, I can't say how much I'm spending on that. I'm not going to say. I just, it's so It's in the five figures. It's in the five figures. It's in the five figures. Well into the five figures. But we have a lot of stuff. My wife, the good wife and I, originally moved back to Australia in 2011 because economically we weren't in a good place in Italy. Um, I think, I think te- the technical term for the economic circumstances that we were in um, is the dumpster. Um, maybe a dumpster that someone's thrown up in, I think would be where we were I mean, we had a bit of money I think when we got back to Australia when we finally arrived in Australia we had about five grand Aussie that's it so this is this is this is a lot different because we've got more than that now so you know we're able to go back and we're going back so we're going back on our terms um, the move from Europe back to Australia was a move we had to do we had no choice in it now we have the choice and we're doing the move. So in, in that regard, it, it's much better. It's a totally different thing. I'm looking forward to lobbing down into Holland. Um, what shall I do there? Many things, boys and girls. Many things, you know me. Um, but... Few things to talk about this week on the old podcast for your listening pleasures. I did a post this week as a kind of a follow-up to my Europe versus Australia post, where I outlined the reasons why um, we're moving to Europe. Principally because my wife wants to go back because she's Dutch. Secondly, I'm very happy to go back because I like Europe. And lastly, it's a strategic move because I think that Europe is actually a better place to ride the progressive lunacy bandwagon coming to a head over the last 40 years than Australia is. Not only that, but I think that Australia is one of the worst countries, worst positioned countries in the world. And, and I laid out all these reasons in, for that in this post. 
No one, no one disagreed with my economic reasons, but oh my God, Australians disagreed with my reasons, cultural reasons that Australia is is much more vulnerable than uh, Europe. I think at this point in time. And by the way, the caveat is when I when I say Europe, I don't mean Great Britain because it's interesting. And this discussion came up on that earlier post. It's interesting that the the countries in the world that are most susceptible and to cultural Marxism and have most fallen for the whole progressive, you know, the whole transgender and gender pronouns and gay marriage and feminist lunacy are predominantly Anglo-Saxon countries. So Britain, the USA, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia definitely is up there. It's interesting. Is it, is it, is it like an Anglo-Saxon mentality like um like the, the all the university stuff that you see coming out the crazy university stuff you know like rape culture and mansplaining and safe spaces and i'm seeing a thing this week that um black students in the usa are now self-segregating so they're having like a black only um, a black only graduation or something like this, London. Just completely nuts. Completely nuts. This isn't happening in other universities in the world. It's not happening in the European universities, as far as I know. I'm not hearing anything about it. And I've got I've got Italian friends who are in university. I'm not hearing anything about this. And I've asked them, and they're like. Don't know what I'm talking about. All this PC crap has really infected brilliantly the Anglo-Saxon-based countries. And so we're moving to Holland, which is not an Anglo-Saxon-based country, of course. It's a Dutch country, and they have a stronger culture. And I spelled out in this post why, blah, 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 I think this. Anyway, did a follow-up post this week um, because I... I discovered an article in the New York Times. The New York Times, of course, is uh, Carlos Slim's blog. So I think it, it's the New York Times anyway. Um, and it went into detail about uh, Australian politics and, and the, the cultural lay of the land here, obviously from a left perspective. So while I'm looking at these figures and stats, that they gave out and going shock horror. They're looking at the figures and stats and going, see, it does work. It's awesome. We need to do more of this ourselves. So, more or less, Australia's immigration rate of overseas migrants is more than double the level of either Britain or the USA. So, we see these, we see these, so like apparently California has been completely overrun by Mexicans, you know, Spanish people, Spanish speaking, sorry, South Americans or Central Americans. Um, we see all this stuff about towns like Bradford in the UK, which have, you know, just, it's literally almost a Muslim enclave now. Um, constantly you're seeing these, these um, really... And this is the thing in Australia. This is why so many Australians didn't agree with me. We're seeing all this stuff on the news 
especially stuff like Breitbart years of how awful it is in Britain and the USA. And our migration rates are double, double that. And this is overseas born, so this doesn't include any kids that they've had. Here's the amazing stat from the New York Times. Migrants, people born outside Australia, so not including their kids that have been born in Australia, are now, the quote is, about 29% of Australians' population. 30% of the population has migrated here. You throw their kids in, that have been born here. And I had, a, I had a chat with a family member and they were saying, they were arguing with me about this because I spoke to them about these stats the other day. They're saying, oh, you know, Adam, come on, when you grew up and you went to school back in the 80s, you had, do you remember your friend, your Chinese friend, blah, 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 such and such, and your Indian friend, blah, 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 such and such. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do remember them. They were, they're great, great guys and got on really well with them and, they're there. Yeah, do they? So you see, you see? It's just like, but they were an anatomy back then. They were, they fitted in because they had to fit in. They fitted in because they were the only Chinese kid at school. They were the only Indian kid at school. So they fit in with us. So they integrated. No problems at all. But I'm, I'm seeing schools get out here that are 95% Asian in Melbourne like core Melbourne historical high schools and 95% Asian when they walk through the gates you could it's it's spot the white kid if you possibly can as I, as I said to them and I've said this in a blog post before when I lived in Italy I was one of three Australians in the valley the population of the valley was about 15 14 14 to 15,000 people so in that situation, three out of 15,000, I'm a curiosity, you know, uh, and I'm fitting in with them. Now, you take me, same person, same personality, same good guy, blah, blah, blah. Most people like me, or I do tend to make a fair share of enemies, unsurprisingly enough. And you now make it that there's, well, we got 30% of Australia's population is now migrants overseas born. So let's say that now there's 5,000 Australians in the valley of 15,000. Well, that's an invasion. And I don't have to speak to any Italians if I don't want to. I can just hang out with Australians. I can go and, uh, go and shop at Australian-owned shops. Go and see my Australian doctor get my Australian lawyer, my Australian, go to the bank where everything's in Australian. Signs will be in Australian, all in English. Don't have to integrate. Now, I'm the same guy in that situation, the same, same personality, but the two scenarios are completely different. So, 30% of Australia's population is migrants. 30%. And they're all they're all clustered in the major cities, particularly Melbourne and, and Sydney. And 
I'm from Perth originally. I actually think that Perth, yeah, probably one of the best places to ride this out in Australia because they are so isolated and, and the levels of my migration there, while high and nowhere near what's happened over here in the eastern part of Australia, they they might be able to to ride this one out. But 30% migrants, that's a complete demographic change. That's no longer Australia for what Australians is. What Australians are, what, what Australia is. It's not, it's just, it's an absolute betrayal. It's an absolute betrayal, and our politicians have done this. And this is why the Liberal Party, which is a Conservative Party in Australia, is shifting ever, ever more left they say towards the centre, but they're way past the centre now. Because they're simply reacting to the demographic realities that are now in place as regards to the political landscape in Australia. They are simply reacting to that. You've got you've got a liberal minister, a liberal politician, backbencher, who's in some seat in Sydney or Melbourne and there's a lot of them and they're saying look man you've I've got a lot of Chinese in my in my uh, electorate here uh, you're gonna have to do this you're gonna have to do that they don't have to come here and they don't have they don't have to get with our values I actually think it's a strategic move on Malcolm Turnbull's part who's the Prime Minister of Australia for those listeners overseas. Now, so he's the, the leader of the Conservative Party, which is going ever, 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 ever left, more and left every day. But back in the late 90s, he was the leader of the Australian Republican movement that organised the national vote on whether Australia would cease to become um, a democracy based on the British Crown and the monarchy and move over to some nebulous, pie-in-the-sky, Republican um, form. And it was defeated roundly. So what do you do when the people say, we don't want your stupid republic? Well, you change the people. Because the Liberal Party and, and Turnbull has been a Liberal politician for all that time. The Liberal Party were in power during that referendum and all the way up to 2007, so from 1990. I think from 97 or 96 to 2007, the Liberal Party were in power. It was like 11 years, something like that. And Labor got in, and they were in from 2007 to 2013 for five years. But then since 2013 to 2017, there's been the Liberal Party again. So for the majority of this period of time, there's 20 years that the migrant levels have gone through the roof. The Liberal Party's been in power. So I could say that the Liberal Party are reacting to the demographics in the electoral base. But in a sense, that's not really true because they've been in power for most of the time that those people have been coming in in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Melbourne gets 2,000 new drivers on, their, on its roads every week. It's 100,000 a year. So that's an extra, every 10 years, it's an extra million cars in Melbourne. The city's infrastructure can't handle this. Now, on the one hand, the, the left spruiks 
Oh no, population is bad. That's why they go for abortion all the time. It's one of the best. Oh, you know, we're we're helping climate change with abortion. That's what the left says. What some? I think it was Gloria Steinem. Someone said it today or yesterday. Oh, you know, we're we're helping we're helping save the world. We're killing all these babies. So, but on the other hand, they're like, oh, we need more migrants into our country because our birth rate's plummeting. Uh huh. You think? So on the one hand, they're, they're encouraging the native population to just go off and have as many abortions as you possibly can. Abortion's on demand. Abortion is a career choice. Abortion is a lifestyle option. Um, they make it expensive for the native population to have kids and bring up kids. They put in place, the government puts in place policies that makes having kids for people from an Anglo-Saxon background kind of like, you look at it and going, they want, they want complete control now, almost, over your kids. And Canada has gone totally off the deep end of this sort of stuff. So the native population, the Anglo-Saxon population, sort of looks at this and, and they, a lot of them balk and go, fuck, do I really want to have kids? On top of that, it's all been a feminist 30 years of you go girl and you have your career and you can have it all and they can't. And all these chicks just hitting the wall have hit the wall hard already and eight or nine years later, you know, they're 40, 41, 42. They're not having kids. They haven't got a guy. There's no way. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Bring in all those migrants. Bring them in. Bring them in. And they bring in the migrants, the migrants who want the government to look after them. And here we are. Here we are. 30%. I, I, I did that post. And, you, you know, you, you put posts up and sometimes you kind of think, you kind of hope, okay, this will get some reaction. This, this is, I mean, 30% of the population. No, nah, I've got like a dozen, half a dozen comments or something. Crickets. I just... Views, yeah, you know, a thousand views and something like that. But it's like I don't know. It's just like this collective amnesia. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Hang on, we cross-posted this actually on X Y Z. I haven't checked out. Let's have a look. Let's see if there's any comments over there on it. I only posted cross-posted this morning, but normally one. That's it. One comment. And this is what this is this is why this is why this is why man this is why I say I'm going to Europe. I think Europe is so much better placed than Australia to ride this one out. Australians, you tell them you give them your reasons, and all they do is take one of your reasons and use that to shoot down everything else that you've said. And then if you throw something in their face, like here you go, guys, here you go, thirty percent of our country right now is made up of migrants 30 fucking percent is made up nothing crickets just head in the sand in fact i should be happy that there's been so little reaction to this piece because this just proves my point it does doesn't it it really does prove my point it proves my point that australians collectively have got 
their fucking heads in the sand and they don't want to know about it. They don't want to know about it because it is so bad. They catch the train in the morning, they catch the buses, they catch the trams, they walk around the cities. It looks like fucking Hong Kong or Mumbai. That's what it looks like. And they are doing a collective, they are participating in a collective amnesia to try and pretend that it's not happening. Well, I know that it's happening, and I've been saying that it's happening for ages, and fuck ya. I'm married to a duchy. I like Holland a lot. I love Europe. I'm gone. Have your 30% migrants that's only staying at the same rate. Hundreds and thousands we're bringing in every year. Not only that, oh, do I have that article? Yes. So article in The Australian this week about uh, six different Iranian boat people were caught holidaying in their homeland after lying on their visa applications about fearing for their lives if they had to return. So they've come to Australia, they've, they've paid the boats, people smugglers, they got on the boat, on Australia, oh no, you know, blah, 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 they've destroyed all their documents, they've lied their heads off, on their visa applications they've lied, they've said that they can't return to Iran because they'd be killed, and then they get their Australian citizenship and go for a holiday back to Iran. Not only that, one of them went back to Iran to get married, to get married by the very state that he said was going to kill him. So they've been caught, and this is the best bit, the immigration department, uh, visa rulings to have them um, chucked out of the country were overturned by the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. And in fact, we're going to hear that 39% of the immigration minister's decisions all those by delegates have been overturned by the Administration Appeals Tribunal in the past year. I mean, let's have a look at some of the some of these ones. Uh, a couple who arrived by boat claimed to have no identification documents and that they they would be killed if they returned to Iran but later voluntarily travelled to Iran and back to Australia on valid Iranian passports. And two Iranian family members claimed to be stateless with no identity documents, a lie discovered when another family member applied to join them in Australia and provided documents to show all were Iranian citizens who were in no danger of being persecuted. I bet she got in as well. So the minister's gone, okay, you're all out, and the Australian... Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which I'd never heard of before, went, no, no, you can't do that. They're allowed to stay, even though they've lied on their visa applications and they're just lying, 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 lying liars. So that's what we're dealing with here. Hundreds of thousands coming in here every year, lying. And, and I, said it, I said to the family I was speaking with, he's like, oh, you know, Indians are really nice, you know, when I said like, 30, 40 years ago, Indians who were migrating to Australia were, were huge Anglo-Saxon fans. They smoked pipes. They wore tweed jackets. They spoke with English accents, like cultivated upper-class English accents. They blended in seamlessly. They loved 
Anglo-Saxon culture. Now we're getting peasants straight off from work in the fields. It's literally what we're getting. Yeah? Literally. You can have it. I tell you what, I'm not going to... Fuck it, I'm not going to do any more. I'm not going to do any more articles about this while I'm here. I've said it. Australians, the thing about Australians, you can't fucking say anything to them. If you're not, if you're if you if you're from overseas, if you're like a, a, a from England, uh, Tim Newman left a comment on my blog, and he's English, and he lived in Melbourne for a while, and it was like whenever he pointed out something that was really really ridiculous here, it was like, ah, you're whinging, pom, fuck off, you're whinging, pom. That's Australia's attitude. They can't say that to me because I'm Australian. I live here. I'm seeing what's going on. So they just, it's like crickets. Crickets. Good on you, Australia. Good on you. Because you've fucked it. You have totally fucked it. So, um, have fun with that. Um, other news this week, we had. Uh, I haven't. I haven't commented on this because I've just been wanting to see how it played out and if it would play out a certain way, and it did. Because I thought it might. So, I think it was the last week or the week before. Alan Joyce, who is the CEO of Qantas, the Australian airline. Now, Alan Joyce is a gay homosexual dwarf retard, uh, and, and Australia has Australia has real form in getting overseas um, see people to come in and run major Australian companies because the Australians just have no faith that Australians can do it. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition because on the one hand. Australians are all about Australia, it's the best in the world at this, it's the greatest. We'll have a festival and it won't be just a festival, it'll be the world's greatest festival. You know, It's just like, I was so glad when I was not in Australia in 2000 when the Olympics went down in Sydney because it just would have been too abominable to even... I mean, Australia just goes on and on and on all the time how we're the best in the world at absolutely everything. They don't have just have a... They'll have a... A, uh, a fashion festival here in Melbourne. It'll be the world's biggest fashion festival. They'll go on about it as the world's best and the centre of the world is in all these buys. That is absolute fucking rubbish. But then, when push comes to shove and you need to appoint a CEO, we get a gay homosexual Irish dwarf. Alan Joyce. Anyway, who did some initial good thing. He took on the unions, which was needed to be done. But since then... He's now pushing, uh, uh, using his position as Qantas CEO to push um, his social agenda, which specifically is gay marriage. It's not enough that they push gay marriage through an island, but little old Alan Joyce has to come out here and wave his gay backside around and lecture us Australian peons that we are all horrible homophobes and bring in stuff like... um, uh, let's see, Qantas is now part of this thing where their staff have to wear this ring. It's like a black ring with a little gap at the and it doesn't quite close. And that's, that's it's the fact that it's not quite closing is a symbol of the inequality in marriage. Now, apparently, Qantas employees and staff 
have a choice on whether or not to wear this ring, but they can also, you know, have a choice on not getting any promotions. You know what I mean? You know how it works. If you don't wear the ring and you're in a corporate, eh. so he's using his position uh, as a corporate CEO um, to basically bully Australians and bully his own workers and radically, radically pushing a gay marriage agenda here. So anyway, he's speaking at a conference um, and I think the conference was on leadership. And it was in Perth at a hotel, like Hilton or something. I can't know that hotel. Um, and a Catholic man, an older man, by the name of Tony Overhu, 67 years old, got into the venue, waited backstage with a lemon meringue pie. And at a certain point when Alan Joyce was up to speak and was speaking, the guy calmly walks out and pushes the pie straight into Alan Joyce's face without a word being spoken. Boom. Pie in the face. He's now been charged with, by the police for assault. I don't know if it's assault with a deadly weapon, lemon meringue pie. The pie cost about 28 bucks too. It was a decent one. Personally, I would have thought that Alan Joyce was used to having cream shoved in his face. Uh, perhaps our pie guy's only mistake was, you know, not giving him a sausage first. Hmm? But anyway, the little thug, Alan Joyce, and he's got, Alan. I mean, you know, he's got short man syndrome, it's, it's obvious. But not only does he have short man syndrome, he's got short man homosexual syndrome. I don't think there's, there's a worse combination than that. Please, please, dear listeners, inform me if there's a worse combination than short man homosexual syndrome. Um, he's now, this man is now banned for life for flying with Qantas and its partner airlines, which include Jetstar, Cathay Pacific and Emirates. Emirates, of course, is an airline of a Muslim country and they, what they like to do to homosexuals is throw them off the top of a building, amongst other things. But we'll let that one slide. Here's the thing. Alan Joyce was not on uh, Qantas property when the pie got shoved in his face. And Alan Joyce was not there representing Qantas in any way, shape, or form. He was speaking at a private event. So, what's this got to do with Qantas? What's this got to do with Cathay Pacific? What has it got to do with Jetstar? What has it got to do with Emirates? Why is this man banned? Is that, does that mean now that I'm calling Alan Joyce rude names, that I get banned from flying on Qantas as well? I think and I was expecting this, and this is why I've waited to comment on it. It really does show the totalitarian bully, the thug that is the gay marriage lobby. What's Qantas going to do now? Ban everyone who objects to gay marriage? Hey? 
about everyone. What? Qantas employees walking down the street and uh, they cut, or driving down the road and they cut you off and you stop and have words with them. Rah, 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 rah. Sorry, uh, you are disagreeable with employees. You're banned from applying with us. You can say private company, do what they want. Shareholders company. Shareholders company. Shareholders. Public company. What's it got to do with Cathay Pacific? What's it got to do with Emirates? I repeat, Alan Joyce was not representing Qantas when he was speaking at the function, and he was not on Qantas property. So why is this guy banned from flying on Qantas? I think that this proved his point. Alan Joyce uses Qantas for his own personal means as CEO. That's not what his job's supposed to entail. Whether it's it's pushing a social agenda, gay marriage, hard, or getting someone banned because they they shoved a pie in his face. And how and how shoving a pie in someone's face is assault. Well, that's going to be news to all the Antifa, Antifa hoodlums who routinely throw eggs at everyone when they're doing their uh, demonstration. Hmm? I don't see any of them getting charged with assault. News to me. News to me in a big way. Shout-outs. Captain Capitalism has a new... Aaron Cleary has a new book out called... Wait for it. Poor Richard's Retirement. Um, retirement for Everyday Americans. And I have not read it as of yet. Um, I actually haven't read Bachelor Pad Economics either. I think that's one that I really would have wanted to have when I was younger, before I got my head in the game as regards to money. Um... But Paul Richard's retirement is um, Aaron's diversifying and trying to broaden his audience. And so I think he's he's uh, trying to get the old fucks out there. Look, if you if you start worrying about your retirement when you're ready to retire, it's it's kind of it's kind of all over really, isn't it? It's like if you start worrying about your health when you're getting old, then well it's too late, isn't it? You should have been worrying about your health before you got old. That's that's kind of how it works. Hmm? So, plan ahead, I suppose. Aaron Clary is very good at um, telling people to plan ahead. He also has a YouTube channel and a podcast as well. Um, I haven't checked his YouTube channel out in a few days, but let's see. In the last day, he's put up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight videos in order. Requests, are MBAs worth it? If you get it from an Anglo-Saxon university, I'd say no. Without having without having watched his video, I'm gonna say, if you go to like a, like a, a good university in like Germany or Holland or someone like that, I think an MBA could still be good because they are absolutely not converged at all. Uh, request, masters in EE, can't find a job, help a STEM brother out. Is that electrical engineering? I don't know. 
Uh, request socialism works in Scandinavia and nowhere else. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work in Scandinavia. They're just riding on the coattails of uh, of their brilliant economic performance from about 1880 to 1950, which coincided with two world wars, which they provided most of the iron ore for, and the fact that it went hugely small government and the government got out of the way. And all the money they made out of that, they and all the wealth they generated, they then have used to fund their socialism state for the last 70 years and it's starting to unravel and having to wind it back so i haven't watched it but i'm just saying that no, no, no it doesn't work request does love exist um i love my cat no i don't he's pissed me off today request best u.s cities for canadians are you just allowed to if you're a canadian are you just allowed to jump down to the u.s and move there it's how bad cat is getting at the moment Request, why IT people don't need to tolerate office politics? Actually, this is a good one, I think, because, um, I mean, IT people obviously are nerds, and nerds have the... um, social stigma of being a nerd, which means no, no ability to have any relationships of any quality, which means you don't have to worry about office politics. So, request how Asian parents screw over their children. What the fuck do I care? I'm not Asian. Uh, request how to be a good boss. You want to know how to be a good boss? Actively manage your staff. What does that mean? It means that you're always talking to your staff. You know what's going on. So that if you... Sp- you can then foresee any problems that that are liable to come up and you deal with it. So for your staff working for you, it just seems like it's easy. And looking on the outside, I'd be like, that that boss, he doesn't have to do much because he's got such a good team. And they don't realise that he's got such a good team because he made it that way. So how to be a good boss, talk to your staff. That's how you be a good boss. doesn't mean you pretend. It actually means you know what's going on. You know what they're dealing with. You know what. You don't know they have to know their whole whole home life or anything like that. But you you can tell when they're not up to the game. You can tell when they're under pressure. You can move them around. No one can be a hundred percent output all the time like a robot. Or very few people can. A good boss understands that his people are his people, and to get the most out of them. Well. You've got to treat them like human beings. Is that so hard? Treat them like human beings? Know what's going on? Know what they're doing? Appreciate when they've done something? That's what you do to be a good boss. Protect them from stupid morons in other departments? That's a big part of it. Request you can get shit for free in the military? Yeah, you can get shot for free. Bullet in the head for free. Um, there we go. So that's just in the last uh, few days from Aaron. So, you know, you always have some interesting stuff. I like, um, I don't agree with everything he says. Oh, no, 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 no. And Aaron knows that. But he doesn't agree with everything I say either. And that's, you don't want to surround yourselves, boys and girls, with people that you agree with everything with. Because how boring is that? Oh, that Trump guy, he's such a bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, knock yourselves out. Knock yourselves out. I also like Aaron because he's one of those people out there who tells the truth. As he sees it. Yeah, sure, Aaron's trying to sell you something. He's trying to sell you his books. 
But he's not going to suck your cock or lie to you while he's doing it, tell you what you want to hear. Which is why he doesn't sell as many books as he could be. And he knows that. So I don't sell as many books as I could be. And I know it. You know, Aaron and I probably won't get rich off doing this. But um, truth tellers are hard to find. Uh, you come to me, you go to Aaron, you're going to get the truth. Truth hurts most of the time. Though, so people don't want to hear that. Yeah. Um, I was listening to the Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson podcast uh, that I put up last week on the Hot Chicks of the Week links. Uh, and he said something interesting. He said that um, the smarter the kid, the earlier they learn to lie. The smarter the kid, the earlier they learn to lie. And the reason, he said, the reason for that, and I'm paraphrasing what he said because I can't remember off my head, but you find out that lying can get you stuff and you find out that lying can um, protect you from harm. And that really resonated with me because I learned to lie at a very early age because I was bullied at a very early age for my last name. No, that's not true. I was bullied. The, the last name was a catalyst, but any any type of bullying is just is just the poke with the stick to see how you react. It doesn't matter whether it's your last name or you're wearing glasses, whatever the, whatever the hell it is. The bullies poke you to see how you react. And if you react poorly, if you're not able to defend yourself, if you're not able to rise to the occasion, if you're not able to take care of yourself, well, then they've got you. It's like a paradigm shift. There's the moment before you fail the bullying test and then the moment afterwards. So I was never taught by my parents how to handle the bullying. Um, I since I learned the hard way. So I was I needed to protect myself with lies, and uh, I became very very good at it. But this is the interesting thing that Peterson said: um, you can't trust yourself if you lie a lot. And by the way, I lied about everything. This was like ten year old kid, eleven year old kid, but it went through into my teenage years. Just to give you an example, if, if I earned $100, let's say, playing a gig, I earned $300. That's it. Someone asked me, it was 300 bucks. I'd even tell them if they didn't ask me. And you take that to all the different areas of your life where you could communicate with people and you're lying dozens of times in a day. You have to stay very smart because it's a lot of lies to keep track of. A lot. The thing is that you can't trust yourself if you lie, as Peterson said. And then he went on to say, there's going to be times in your life where you have no one to turn to except yourself. And if you find yourself in that situation where you've got no one but yourself, but you lie to yourself all the time, you don't trust yourself, well, that's when, you have a, that's when you're in real danger, I think. So I started trying to deal with my lying when I was about 18, after I left school. Uh, and it was really hard. I'd say it took me a good, I'm not going to lie here. See what I did there? I'd say it took me a good 10 years to get a handle on it, to get it under control. Didn't mean I stopped lying, 
but it, it was at the point where if I lied, I could just look at myself, observe myself kind of in the third person and shake my head and go, why'd you lie for then, you moron? Yeah. Um, breaking breaking a, a habit like that that's um, that's part of you is really hard because what you're trying to do is create your own values, I suppose. Um, and that's really hard, trying to create your own values. That's really, 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 really difficult. And Peterson spoke about that as well, and he pointed out the fact that, just think about the number of people who New Year's resolution go to the gym, and how many weeks do they last? How many times do they go? For that? And they've bought a full year's membership. I mean, gyms must survive off this shit. So stopping myself lying was... Uh... And I can't really remember how I do it. I actually think it was more... It was a force of will. I didn't do anything like write all my lies down at the end of the day so I could shame myself or anything like that. And I don't think that's... I don't, th- I don't think something like that's really possible because it's so... You're having to deal, if you're trying to stop doing a bad behavior that you yourself find, um, you know, awful, because in this case you can't trust yourself, you can't shove it in your own face. Because you're already feeling bad enough about it as it is. And I'd say that's also why it's really hard. So how did I do it? I just made a conscious effort to stop, to not to not lie. And the conscious effort to not lie is to actually tell the truth. So I, I did a gig last night, I got a hundred bucks. I'd say that and wait. And it was amazing the first time I got the reaction and it was like, oh, okay, hundred bucks. And what I was doing by lying, I was trying to build myself up. I was trying to make myself better than I was because I felt insecure, because I wasn't insecure. But the lies take over your life. And like I said, you get to the point where you don't trust yourself anymore. And I think that's one of the reasons why for me now, at this point in my, in my life, um, the truth is so important. I mean, most my writing that I'm doing most of it is based on well, yeah all of those every time I sit down I'm trying to I'm trying to write the way I see it I'm trying to write the way I see it no pretty lies that's ironic isn't it because the world is full of pretty lies and people are telling themselves pretty lies all the time oh, I've just been speaking about Australia telling itself a pretty lie that it's got no cultural problem that that Europe has got a, and America have got a far bigger migrant crisis than we do. It's a pretty lie, isn't it? I suppose the reason that I'm able to deal with the truth and to see it is because I spent so much of my younger years lying to myself. And I was so disgusted with my... Every time... I lied. I hated myself that little bit more. Just that drop in the bucket more. But you add that up over how many lies you tell in a day and how many days there are in a year and how many years. Tens, hundreds of thousands of lies. 
Your whole life is bad. Do you want to hear my best ever lie? I'll tell you my best ever lie. My best ever lie, I was working in this bar, in this pub. There was about 50 staff, 60 staff, and there was a really gorgeous girl who worked. And she might be listening to this because we're still in sporadic contact. And um, I'll call her Sally. Let's just say it's not what her name was, but that's the first one that's come to mind. She was, I mean, she was stunning. She was a stunningly attractive 20-year-old woman. Long brunette hair, leggy legs, gorgeous physique, gorgeous face, lovely nature, vivacious, bouncy. And I went around telling everyone that I was sleeping with her at the place that I was working. I mean, this is the, the depth of delusion that you can do when you're in a world of untruth. Like I said, this is the best lie I ever told. Now, I didn't go around just randomly saying to people that I slept with her, but I would, I would infer. I would go, oh, yeah, yes, Sal, yeah. She and I caught up last night. Raise an eyebrow. And they'll go, oh, did you guys hook up? I go, nah, man, of course not. No way. So I never, I never said it, but I was saying it. I was inferring it. I was putting it out there that there was a possibility. And I did it a little bit too much. It got back to her. So we're working. We're, it's a busy shift, but it gets towards the, the quiet end, maybe the lunch shift. It's like 2.30, 3 o'clock, we're cleaning up. She comes up to me. And she's, she was really nervous. She was really hesitant. Because she didn't want this to be true. <laughs> that I was such a dropkick. <laughs> and if you listen to this, you know who you are. Yeah. Um, and she confronted me about it in a very non-confrontational... I mean, she was really uncomfortable with what she... And she was just, listen, Adam, I've, you just... Can you just clarify that this isn't true? Because I'm hearing it around the place that you're telling people that that we're seeing each other or sleeping together or something and there's that moment i mean that my exterior was was completely calm but inside it's like <laughs> i mean literally my stomach must have dropped forty thousand feet in that moment on the outside total calm And I've got, I've got milliseconds, milliseconds to react to this. And I had to work it out in my head. I had to work out, okay, what reaction here is going to... And listen, I did this in milliseconds. It's amazing how, how the human mind can work under pressure and go through stuff. Man of stuff that goes through your head. I was thinking to myself, which, which reaction is do I need to do here? How am I going to get out of this one? No, I wasn't thinking, how am I going to get out of this one? I was, I was formulating a plan and it all went through my mind. I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't act all the angry sort of, what the hell said that man? What the hell? Blah, 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 blah. I just acted there like, what? Are you serious? And she's like, yeah, I know, but I've been hearing this from a couple of people and, Blah, 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 blah. A couple of people. One person's 
you can kind of deal with a couple of people. And I just said to her, Sally, how stupid would I have to be to go around here in the place that I work telling such a ridiculous lie about someone that I work with and who it would get back to? It's literally along the lines of what I said. I put out there to defend my lie, my own total stupidity, or what that would have been. And she totally bought it because she wanted to buy it because she didn't want to believe either that I was that stupid. And I never heard about it again, but I never inferred anything about that again either. And I got away with it. That was my best lie I ever told because there was so much at stake at that moment in time if I failed that test. I mean, literally, my job and my whole social life were bound up around my job. All of my friends at that point were bound up around that. So that was a very tricky moment. But here's the thing. So I finish the shift and I go home. I'm thinking to myself, I spoke out loud about how stupid I'd have to be. But I was that stupid. I was that stupid. I was that stupid person who actually did that. And I think that was the, the high point or the low point as such of the lying. Because as Peterson said, you can't trust yourself if you lie. And that's why I'm so addicted to the truth now. and getting To my own detriment sometimes. Uh, I'll be honest with you, in my last job, I could have got a lot further in that company if I just played the political game. And the political game is just a lying game. But I can't do it now. I can't. I just can't. If someone's a moron... And the idea that they've come up for some direction for the department to take is completely idiotic. I am going to say it and I'm going to destroy them. It's just, it's like I'm a fixated with it. I'm fixated. I can't just tell you that you're an idiot. I can't just show that you're an idiot. I don't have to rip you to pieces in front of everyone in your idiocy. Funnily enough, it doesn't go down well behind the scenes. Who would have thought it? But it's just not possible for me to sit there with my mouth shut. It's just not possible. I just can't do it. I'm the opposite of the yes man. The exact opposite of that. Probably means I'm unemployable, I suppose. I don't know. I'm not working at the moment. We'll see what happens when I get to Europe because I think I need to get a job there. We call this episode the lying episode because that's what it's about. Australians are lying to themselves about their migrant levels. Alan Joyce is lying to himself about what he's doing in his job at Qantas. And I spent a lot of my early years lying to myself. <laughs>
I get the feeling that Aaron Clary might have done the same. He's never said that to me. But we're, we're alike in a lot of ways. Kind of the same way we've gone through life as well. Same sort of paths. Same sort of realisations. To get to the truth, to be a truth teller, you've got to come from a background of untruth, I think. You have to have seen both sides of it. Really seen it. Or maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure you'll let me know. Okay. This has been the uh, lying episode in the Pushing Rubber podcast. Uh, my name's Adam Piggott. You can um, click on the sound. If you listen to this on SoundCloud, you can click on the link to my website. I've got a couple of books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, A Journey to Manhood via Whitewater Adventures. Um, details all my exploits about listen learning how does that's that's the first part of the book is me lying not i wasn't lying about it but what i've written about there is as it happened but the, the person that i was at the journey at the start of that journey that i detail out in that book how i is how i moved from a lying sack of shit with no a young man lying sack of shit with no options with no prospects in life and turn that around. That's what it's about. By having whitewater rafting adventures all around the world in cool places like Uganda and Italy and Africa and well, Uganda is Africa, Canada, stops like that. And then my second book, Run Guts, Pull Cones, A Rafting Adventure in the Italian Alps. So that book's about what's it like once you've got your shit together. But maybe you're working with people who don't have their shit together <laughs> um, as much as you. I don't know. That's being arrogant, isn't it? They're both great books. Kindle, paperback, or audio book for the first one. Um, thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Hit hit follow on, on the thing here. Um, the numbers are slowly creeping up. And uh, I'll probably see you guys next week. Ciao, ciao, ciao.